My father-in-law Chuck was a man who loved life. He didn't just chew life down to the bone. He chewed through the bone and sucked out the marrow. May I illustrate? He was in Washington, D.C. for a conference. When the conference ended, he had about two hours before he had to be at the airport for his flight home. I say had to be because my father-in-law was never anywhere before he had to be. He had too much life to experience. With my mother-in-law in tow, he made a deal with the cabbie to run them around for two hours. His goal? To see every major museum in Washington, D.C. He saved his best for last, the Air and Space Museum. My mother-in-law reminded him, we have to leave for the airport in 10 minutes. That didn't stop Chuck. He told the cabbie, drop us off at the south entrance and meet us at the north entrance in 10 minutes. Got it? I'm not kidding. If you haven't been there, the Air and Space Museum is 635 feet long. Multiply that times two if you go to both levels. At a brisk walking pace, it would take over five minutes to walk end-to-end -end on both levels. That is, if you didn't have to pause or slow down for clumps of the eight million visitors who pack the place every year. That's five of the ten minutes, and that's if you don't even pause to look at any one of the 60,000 displayed items. That's how I feel walking you through the New Testament letters. I have 10 to 15 minutes to walk you through something you could linger over for days. I'm going to channel my father-in-law, Chuck, and I'm going to start as we dive into the first letter, Galatians, or as we call it in my class, Gracelations. My students need to know the theme of every New Testament book, and this one's easy. This is all about grace. So going in, we've got to know what that word means. The Greek word is charis. That word appears repeatedly in the letters of Paul. It literally means gift. If you gave somebody a gift, you graced them. When it comes to salvation, some people like the acronym for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God gifting us by something he gives us through Christ. If you missed my word picture for grace in episode 23, The Pizza Party in the Hall, I'd encourage you to listen to at least the beginning of that podcast. Galatians is written to the churches Paul visited in his first missionary journey in Asia Minor. There in synagogues, on street corners, and in homes, Paul had talked about our broken relationship with God. Most Romans and Greeks, along with the Jews, believed there was a God or gods and that they had messed up, that the God or gods needed to be appeased or something done to cover their messed upness. They probably thought the solution to fix it was one of three things. The first group thought, I've got to do a lot of chores to appease the gods. It's on me. But Paul preaches the other end of the spectrum. We can't fix it. How do you appease a God, especially a holy God? How are you going to fix a broken relationship with a holy God with chores? Instead, he preaches grace. God has to fix that relationship. And he can't just look the other way on our brokenness. Sin requires a penalty or payment. Otherwise, God isn't just. So Paul preached that penalty was put on Jesus. And when this perfect Lamb of God shed his blood, he made a payment to a holy God. Now it's just a matter of accepting that grace, that gift. But there was a third group in the middle of the how do you fix your broken relationship with God or God's spectrum. It was people that thought God does his part 
and I do my part, and together both parts are necessary. We're going to find this tension is in most of Paul's letters. Early in his life, Paul had been in the do-it-yourself, fix-it camp, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Do chores for God meticulously, and someday God will say, you did pretty good, come on in. But there on the road to Damascus, Paul had met Jesus. And in that encounter, Paul swung to the other side of the spectrum. Something happened where he realized no amount of chores will ever do it. I have to receive the gift God gives me through the penalty for my sin being placed on Jesus. What triggered the letter to the Galatians was the same issue that triggered the Jerusalem Council, that group in the middle. People that said getting our relationship with God fixed was a group effort. It was what Jesus did on the cross and what I do with him, being circumcised and keeping the rules. Paul's letter to the Galatians is a frontal attack on the other two camps. The I have to fix it rule keepers and the people in the middle will fix it together called Judaizers. Before we go into the Galatians exhibit, if you didn't listen to the last podcast, number 128, please do. At least listen to the last three minutes when I have a Chuck-style walkthrough of the characteristics of the 21 New Testament letters. On second thought, listen to the whole thing. It really sets up this first letter. It's the same issue Paul deals with. You don't have to get very far into the Galatians exhibit before you realize Paul is really mad. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when this four foot six inch missionary and theologian got wind of what was happening in the province of Galatia, those cities of Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. He had to have kicked some furniture. Want proof? Here's a sampling of some statements he makes in Galatians. Three verses in, he says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God the one who in his mercy called you to eternal life through Jesus. A little later he says, If anyone, we or even an angel from heaven, preaches a different gospel than grace, let him be damned. No, he says that. A little later he says, You foolish Galatians, who's put you under a spell? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now thinking you can become perfected with your own fleshly efforts? Duh! A little later, Jesus set you free. Why on earth would you ever subject yourself again to a yoke of slavery? You've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by rule keeping. You've fallen from grace. Then in chapter 5, my favorite, toward these Judaizers, that middle camp, who said you had to cut off a little foreskin to be right with God, Paul writes this, Would that those people even mutilate themselves? Translation, if cutting off a little skin makes you right with God, just think how right you will be if you lop off the whole thing. No, it's there. Read it. Galatians 5.12. Paul is really ticked. Grace is not something to mess with. Paul's gotten a message these Judaizers are preaching that his gospel is wrong. They're preaching the gospel is not grace. Faith in Jesus alone equals salvation. It is faith in Jesus plus obeying the law of Moses and especially the rite of circumcision. So Paul responds, carried along by the Holy Spirit and wired as he is, this zealous theologian and church missionary dictates the letter to the churches in Galatia. Paul had spent almost a year preaching the gospel in these cities. 
and taking a beating for it. The Judaizers are telling his audience, you know, what Paul says sounds nice, but it don't work that way. Paul made this stuff up, and he probably made it up just to tickle your ears and be popular. You know, compensating for his height, maybe. This is too easy, folks. You can believe in Jesus, but you have to contribute to your salvation. You have to obey the laws he gave through Moses. He didn't write them with a pencil, and he certainly hasn't erased them. They still apply, so get busy. In the first four chapters of Grace Lations, Paul the theologian takes dynamite to the get busy, do chores theology of the Judaizers. This is a hill Paul is willing to die on. He tells the Galatians, don't be fools, don't be bewitched. What they're teaching you is just plain stupid. And here's why. First, he says, these Judaizers are saying I made this up. This isn't just a me message. Now, not that I have to get the big shots to agree. God agrees with this message. But they agreed salvation is a free gift. Then Paul tells them about the time in Antioch where he gets into Peter's face. That's right, the rock. Peter had come up to Antioch, but when some hoity-toity rule keepers come from Jerusalem, he stops going to the pork barbecues. He's two-faced. Paul said, when I saw him being carried away in this hypocrisy, communicating it's not just grace, I got into his face. In public, Paul further tells the Galatians, Barnabas got carried away too, just like Peter. Can you believe it? Barnabas? So beware, readers. This stuff is dangerous. Be careful not to get sucked into it. Paul moves on to his third reason, believing them is stupid. Jesus gave himself to save our sins. Why would he do this if keeping the law could save us? If we could be made right with God by keeping the law, why would God do that to his son? And if keeping the law makes us right with God, then people, Jesus died for nothing. I stop here and ask my students, how would you feel if you heard a stranger desperately needed a kidney to survive? You happened to be a match. You agreed to give up your kidney. You knew it would be a long, painful recovery and some risk to you, but you did it anyway. When you came out of surgery and opened your eyes, there on your side table was a tray with a bloody thing in it. You asked the attending nurse, what's that? Oh, that's your kidney. Why isn't it in the donee? The nurse says, yeah, about that. They decided they really didn't need it or want it after all. Paul moves on with his fourth reason. That's stupid because the Holy Spirit came when you believed. Did the Holy Spirit ever come when you kept the law? Tell me, ever? Fifth, read your Old Testament. You claim Abraham is your model, your father. How is Abraham made right with God? Tell me, by keeping the law? No, by believing with faith. Go read it. Abraham believed God, and God said, we're good. It was a gift. Then go read Genesis 12:3. Through you, Abraham, all nations will be blessed. Abraham is the model for all of us, from all nations. Believing God is the way. God made a covenant with Abraham that this would be his way to be made right. We can't change a covenant God makes. He makes the rules, and his rule is grace. Six, if you try to be right with God by keeping the law, you have to keep it perfectly. Every single law. Paul reminds them of Deuteronomy 27.6. 
Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the law to perform them, know them, and do them, do them all. You say, why would God demand that kind of perfection? I explained this in episode 21. My students know this one well. The turd in God's punch bowl. Paul moves on. Jesus took on the curse of sin for us. That's what he did on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Paul the lawyer then talks about the Old Testament law. Making us right was not even the purpose of the law to begin with. The law was to show us how wrong we are. It actually stirs up in us the desire to break it. What would you feel like doing if a grumpy neighbor put a sign up at the corner of his yard, keep off my yard? Some of my students smile and say, I get it. I'd look for any way I could to go on his yard. I suggest to my students, I would want to throw my dog's poop into his yard. I pound this home to my students. The law in the Old Testament was not a prescription to make us better. It was an MRI to show us how bad we are inside. Paul hardly agrees. In chapter 3, Paul tells his readers, the law was a tutor bringing us to Christ. A tutor brought a child to their school each day. If Paul was speaking to us today, he'd say, the law was a school bus to deliver us to Jesus, to be schooled. These teachers are telling you, stay on the school bus rather than go to Jesus' school. Paul goes on to say, don't be stupid. There are not separate rules for Jews and Gentiles, or for that matter, for slaves or free people, or for men or women. That's just stupid, and it doesn't fit with the nature of our God who wants all of his kids back by a gift of grace. Then Paul moves to the inside. Did you notice how when you believed and the Holy Spirit entered you, God, your taskmaster father, became your daddy? Did you notice that? How you now felt like his child? Why would a child ever go back to being a slave? Why would you go back to viewing God as your taskmaster when you've experienced him as your daddy? In chapter 4 of his letter, Paul goes Paul with a deep analogy. He compares rule-keeping and grace to Hagar and Sarah, to Ishmael and Isaac. If you wade through this analogy two or three times, or perhaps two or three hundred times, it'll really start to make sense. Paul's swinging for the fence. He's using every possible means to shake some sense into these foolish Galatians. In the letter, Paul wraps up his argument like this. It's your choice, Galatians. You can choose grace, accepting the free gift of salvation by believing in Jesus. Or you can choose keeping the whole law perfectly. Let me know how that's working for you. I tried that for 30 years. In chapters 5 and 6, He's also been accused of offering them a simple solution, cheap grace. The false teachers are saying, Paul's telling you, you can do whatever you want. Paul uses words in chapters 5 and 6, running loose in freedom, chained up to rules, biting and devouring. It's really difficult for me not to put chapters 5 and 6 of his letter into a dog analogy. When you get a new puppy, you've got to figure out how to store this dog. I mean, you can't just keep it in the house all the time. Nature's going to call. So what are you going to do when you need to let it outside? There are generally two extremes. Opening the door and letting them run free, or chaining them up outside, or perhaps in a concrete kennel. A dog allowed to run free can wreak havoc on the neighbors. 
They can also lick up antifreeze or run in front of cars and hurt or kill themselves. A dog allowed to run free is seldom healthy and the neighbors don't like it, but a dog kept on a chain or in a concrete kennel is never happy. They were bred to run and jump and play and poop. Paul agrees, God never intended us to be chained up to rules. We were created to run and jump and play. But God doesn't want us running the hood and wreaking havoc on our neighbors. So Paul lays down the invisible fence of loving your neighbor as yourself. Freedom in Christ with a perimeter of love. He concludes his letter speaking of dogfights. If you don't live with freedom within this perimeter of love, it leads to dogfights. And if you've seen a dogfight, it's ugly. Paul tells his readers, you actually have two dogs inside of you. Did you know that? A flesh dog and a spirit dog. Paul lists the characteristics of the flesh dog breed. Things like strife, jealousy, anger, and disputes. Then he lists the characteristics of the spirit dog. You might already know these. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. Both dogs are even in a person who've accepted God's gift of grace. Both dogs fight within you daily. And according to Paul, the one that wins each day is the one you feed the most. Paul urges the Galatians to feed the right dog. Then Paul concludes his letter by encouraging us to live life in a pack and help each other. We're going to screw up. The old dog will occasionally win, sometimes in a big way. We should take these screw-ups seriously because there's consequences for acting with the flesh dog but we also should pick each other up and hang in there together. And if we do, over time as we feed the spirit dog, it will prevail and the pack will flourish. And with that, we exit the letter of Gracelations. My father-in-law Chuck would be proud of us. I urge you to come back to Galatians and linger over these verses in Gracelations at a lesser pace. When Paul finished this, I'm sure it triggered in his brain... This is too important for just a letter. I need to get back there and see these people face to face. So he and Barnabas begin planning to revisit these churches. We call it the second missionary journey of Paul. And we'll go on that journey in our next word picture.